Solidarity HealthShare is built on the Christian tradition of neighbor helping neighbor. Solidarity is a not-for-profit medical cost-sharing ministry in which our members share in each other's eligible medical expenses. As a member, you choose your own doctors and hospitals and simply present your member card when you have medical costs. Solidarity HealthShare is not insurance, but rather an alternative way to pay for medical costs that adheres to the teachings of the Catholic Church. We will never share in medical care such as abortion, contraception, and sterilization that goes against our Catholic values. For more information on Solidarity HealthShare, call 844-313-4999. That's 844-313-4999. Welcome to From the Median, a daily report from the front line of the pro-life movement, discussing two worldviews that are driving our culture in opposite directions. From the Median asks, which side of the road are you on? What direction do you want our culture to go? Tune in as we plan the route that takes us back to the culture of life. And now your host, Molly Smith. Good evening and welcome to From the Median, where we are concerned with the middle ground, not just to understand both sides of an argument, but also to awaken the consciences of those who are neutral or indifferent to this, the greatest civil rights movement of all times, the pro-life movement. This evening, we continue our Bringing America Back to Life series. Tonight, we will feature a presentation from our 2021 convention. We know that you will be inspired by the ideas, the principles, the experience, and the wisdom of our speakers as they join us to pave the way back to life through prayer, action, voting, and education. It is now my pleasure to introduce to you Luke Masick, who has served as the Lyceum's headmaster since 2009. He teaches a wide variety of subjects, including introductory Latin and Greek, Literature, classical science, philosophy, sacramental theology, and Euclidean geometry. Luke is a board member of the Institute for Catholic Liberal Education, which inspires and equips Catholic educators to renew today's Catholic schools by drawing on the church's traditions of education, which frees teachers and students for a joyful pursuit of faith, wisdom, and virtue. At Thomas Aquinas College, where Luke received his BA, he co-led the sophomore seminar in which students read and discussed works by Virgil, St. Augustine, Dante, Chaucer, and St. Thomas Aquinas. Since we're having a class, let's start with a prayer as we do at the Lyceum. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, for the hearts of thy faithful and kindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray, O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us in that same spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Mary, Mother of God and Seat of Wisdom, pray for us. St. Thomas Aquinas, pray for us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Wasn't the choir uh, wonderful? And that wasn't even the whole choir. So thank you, students, and thank you, Mr. Langley, our academic dean and choir director and founder of the Lyceum. Uh, Mr. Langley and I go back many years. I'd also like to just give a special recognition as I... Um, uh, Bob had mentioned I serve on the Institute of Catholic Liberal Education's board, which is an organization which is renewing Catholic education throughout the country. And the president, uh, Mr. Michael Van Hecke, is here. Mr. Van Hecke, if you'd stand up. So if you want to talk about Catholic education, speak to me or to him, either one of us, and we'll be happy to speak with you. Well, are you ready to develop that critical sense that Father spoke about Uh, just a little while ago. That's what we're going to do. Uh, Be ready for some tough thinking here. Let's begin. In its mission statement, Cleveland Right to Life says, we believe that all human beings are made in the image of the creator and must be respected. I agree with that statement. Do you? Do you? I thought so. Would you also agree that respect is due to human beings not only from the moment of conception but all through life. Yes, all through life. And especially, I would argue, during that period of formal education, which we call the school. My thesis then is this. Our human dignity, derived from the fact that we are made in the image of the creator, demands not only that human beings be respected in the womb and the frailty of old age, but throughout the course of life, 
Since formal education is an essential part of life through which human beings reach maturity, human dignity especially demands an education worthy of a creature with an immortal soul made in the image of God. Let me restate that. Human dignity, your dignity, my dignity, demands an education worthy of man who is made in the image of God. Let's first consider, then, the image of God in man. Second, whether American education has been respectful of that image, and if not, what kind of education should a human being made in God's image receive? That man is made in the image of God comes from divine authority, which can neither deceive nor be deceived. In Genesis, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Let's follow, therefore, the science, the divine science. According to divine wisdom, divine science, man is made in God's image. Man who bears the image of God is, according to the psalmist, worthy of honor and glory. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have established, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him little less than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. St. Thomas Aquinas, the universal doctor, that is, teacher of the Catholic Church, commenting on that passage states, "To To be crowned belongs to kings, and God made man as if the king of lower things, and man is the glory, that is, the clarity of the divine image. And this is a certain crown of man. Because man is the image and glory of God, the psalmist can write, The light of your countenance, O Lord, is signed upon us. St. Thomas continues, But someone is honored who is not subordinated to someone else. And man, with respect to his soul, is not subject to any natural corporeal creature, whether in the beginning or in continuance, because he is not produced by a creature, and he acts freely. He does not perish with the body, and in this the honor of man consists. However, the Book of Wisdom observes that there are those who reason unsoundly about the nature of man. For they reasoned unsoundly, saying to themselves, Short and sorrowful is our life. And there is no remedy when a man comes to his end, and no one has been known to return from Hades because we were born by mere chance, and hereafter we shall be as though as we had never been. Moreover, Psalm 48 states that a man who is in honor yet does not understand is like the beasts that perish. An education worthy of man must be ordered, therefore, to authentic understanding, to wisdom. Wisdom, speaking of herself in Proverbs chapter 8, states, He who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord, but he who misses me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Only an education ordered to and by wisdom allows a human being to reach his full dignity as a man, a free being ordered to a divine life. How as a society did we stray from such a noble vision of education? I'll bet many of us have felt rather disrespected lately because rather than being convinced by reasonable argument, by the truth that the masks we've all been wearing and the lockdowns we've been experiencing are indeed necessary and effective, we've been ordered by politicians, the so-called medical experts and scientists, the ones who profess to have knowledge, and the media to wear masks everywhere and don't go anywhere. We've not been treated with respect, with honor, the way human beings ought to be treated. How as a nation have we come to treat each other so disrespectfully 
How have we become so oblivious to so sublime a truth that man is made in God's image? Why is the image of the Creator and the most vulnerable among us being destroyed throughout our land? How have doctors and hospitals, lawyers and courts, educators and schools, politicians and Congress missed such a vitally important truth that man is made in God's image? Society has lost sight of what man is. We do not recognize in whose image we are made. This past summer, we've seen lots of images being destroyed. Statues of many great and noble human beings have been toppled and crushed throughout our great country. Our common intellectual heritage, which we call Western civilization, and which really was once called Catholic civilization, is being erased in the public square and in the classroom. No longer do many high school and college students read the great works of Plato or Aristotle or Homer or Dante or Chaucer or Shakespeare. In most schools, the Bible was thrown out long ago. I maintain, however, that long before the statues were destroyed, and long before Homer and Dante and Chaucer and Shakespeare were kicked out of literature classes, and long before the Bible and prayer were tossed out of public schools, and even long before abortion became legal, the image of the creator in man was being distorted and destroyed throughout our land in far more subtle ways than you can imagine. To find out how successful this elimination of the image of God was, let's take a test. I'll bet you really feel disrespected now. Everyone here, nonetheless, must participate. If you went to high school or college, or think you ought to go to high school or college to prepare yourself for a successful career or occupation, raise your hand. Ah, okay, you failed, you failed. Well, let's talk about that. Let's be honest, okay? The view that the real purpose of education is to prepare for a successful occupation, which is a valuable thing, is also servile. Such an education is not an education worthy of one made in the image and likeness of God. I don't say that there isn't dignity in work and that it is not a necessary part of life or that it's not the means by which we can work out our salvation. But I do say that man was made first and foremost for the truth, for God. By nature, we want to know the truth of the highest causes. And the truth is... Man is made in God's image, and man was made by God and for God. Since the time of the Greeks in ancient Athens to the founding fathers of our republic, education was ordered to and by this sublime end to ascertain the truth about God. When you look at the education of the founding fathers, half of whom had a formal education, you'll find out that all these works that are being tossed out in our schools were read by the founding fathers. The Bible, Euclidean Geometry, a class which I teach is one of the most popular books in the history of the world, read by all of the founding fathers who had a formal education. So you can see these works are an important part of Western civilization. John Dewey, however, dramatically changed America's view of education and perhaps the entire world. Dewey taught in universities from 1884 to 1930, and his influence on education in America was so vast and wide that he is known as the father of American education. In his most famous work, Democracy and Education, he wrote, We cannot establish a hierarchy of values among studies. It is futile to attempt to arrange them in an order, beginning with one having least worth and going on to that of maximum value. The only ultimate value which we can set up is just the process of living itself. According to Dewey, all studies are equal. I take it that would mean the man who is studying something about butterflies, that's just as good as the man who is pursuing wisdom in philosophy and theology. But if everything is equal, there is no order. There's disorder. As one teacher working under a Deweyan vision of education in the 1950s observed, quote, progressive education which overemphasizes learn by doing and underemphasizes learn by thinking, reading, and writing 
is turning out men and women who are not leader material. Its products are not thinking men. Many of Dewey's works were translated into Russian, and in fact, Dewey spent some time in Russia in the late 1920s. Dr. Paul Kangor, who will be speaking about communism tomorrow morning, is the author of a book about John Dewey and others entitled Dupes, How America's Adversaries Have Manipulated Progressives for a Century. Kangor writes, For a time at least, John Dewey and the Bolsheviks formed a mutual admiration society. His ideas influenced the Bolsheviks from the very start of their revolution. In fact, the Soviets embraced Dewey's ideas for their schools before American liberals did. Dewey was an avowed humanist, ascribed to the Humanist Manifesto in 1933. Allow me to set forth some of its tenets. Religious humanists regard the universe as self-existing and not created. Humanism believes that man is a part of nature and that he has emerged as a result of a continuous process. He's not made in the image of God. Humanism asserts that the nature of the universe depicted by modern science makes unacceptable any supernatural or cosmic guarantees of human values. Religion must formulate its hopes and plans in the light of the scientific spirit and method. The distinction between the sacred and the secular can no longer be maintained. As a humanist, Dewey could in no way condone education ordered to that which is eternal, but he maintained that education concerned, quote, activities which appeal to those whose dominant interest is to do and to make, end quote. Hence, Dewey's plan of education stressed education through occupation. Robert Maynard Hutchins, the editor of the chief of the great books series, which are the books which make up the substance of a liberal education, was very critical of Dewey's emphasis on education through occupation. In 1952, in his essay, The Great Conversation, Hutchins wrote, quote, John Dewey's central position is stated in his major book on education, Democracy and Education, published in 1916. Dewey states, quote, Both practically and philosophically, the key to the present educational situation lies in the gradual reconstruction of school materials and methods so as to utilize various forms of occupation typifying social callings. The occupations that are to be engaged in are those which are indicated by the needs and interests of the pupil at the time. Hutchins continues... The doctrine is that occupations, means of earning a living, should constitute the object of attention of the educational system. He proposes education through occupations as a means of arousing interest, which is assumed can be aroused by the study of occupations, of helping students to select a vocation, and of showing them the significance of the various ways of earning a living. Hutchins concluded that Dewey's quote, program of education through occupations would in practice turn out to be a program of education for occupation. As Hutchins noted, however, the interest of the young in occupations is neither intense nor permanent. Hutchins observed that from the looks of things, all Americans of a certain age now want to be cowboys. Education through and for occupation perverts the very nature of education because it fails to order man to God. Education by its very nature is ordered, and it is ordered to God in whose image man is made. Let us now ask, what does the creator in whose image we are made look like? The creator is not a material being as the Greek gods Athena or Zeus. He is pure spirit. In man, there is an image of the triune God who knows himself through his word and loves himself in the spirit. In man, there is, as it were, a created trinity, which is the reflection of the uncreated trinity. For man is made in God's image insofar as he has an intellect by which he knows, 
and a will through which he loves. It is his intellect and will, man's soul, that makes man different than the beasts and makes him godlike, makes him crowned with honor and glory, as the psalmist writes. Because man, however, is a little lower than the angels, his will and intellect are not complete. He must be trained to love the good and educated to know the truth. To be fully alive, man must develop moral and intellectual virtues. Man's will is trained in many ways and in many places. The will needs and has no special institution to perfect it, but some places like the military or a monastery or an institution like marriage might do a better job than others. There is no special place for the training of the will because it gets its training everywhere. But there is a place where man's intellect is formed, and that is called a school. In Greek, a lyceum. That has a nice ring to it. The question remains, however, what is to be taught and what is to be learned in a school, in a lyceum? After all, as they used to say, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Therefore, we have to ask, what makes a good mind? What is the good of the intellect? If we are to honor all human beings, including ourselves, we should want everyone to have a good mind. We should want the best education for everyone. What makes a good mind? What makes a good intellect? An education that respects man's freedom and leads him to a divine and godlike life, to wisdom. The education of free men and for free men is a liberal education coming from the Latin adjective liber, which means free. The most important way to respect and honor a free man, one who by his rational soul is not subordinate to any natural corporeal creature, that is, one who is not ordered to something less than man, the most important way to honor such a one is to lead him to the truth. Indeed, the Creator himself said, the truth will set you free. Only liberal education perfects man, the very best of the creatures in the universe, the only one made in the image of the Creator, as man. What does it mean to perfect man as man? That is, man insofar as he is made in the image of God. God is omniscient. He knows all things. Man, like God, is a knower. And it is his ability to know which distinguishes him from the beast. And so St. Thomas Aquinas, arguably the greatest teacher the world has known, writes, quote, All knowledge is obviously good because the good of anything is that which belongs to the fullness of being, which all things seek after and desire. And man as man reaches fullness of being through knowledge. But through what kind of knowledge does man reach this fullness of being? Is it practical? Is it speculative? What is the difference between the two? Let us distinguish between knowledge which is valuable and that which is honorable. Again, St. Thomas Aquinas writes, quote, Now of good things, some are just valuable, namely those which are useful in view of some end. As we value a good horse because it runs well, Whilst other things are good, they are also honorable, namely those which exist for their own sake. For we give honor to ends, not to means. Let me repeat that. We give honor to ends, not to means. We honor the one who has made the best cake, crossed the finish line first, or achieved the highest score on the test. Provided there was no cheating, we don't honor the means by which these ends were accomplished. Since we give honor to ends, not means, the kind of knowledge which is for its own sake, which is an end in itself, is superior to that which is for some other end than the perfection of man. Now remember, a moment ago we acknowledged that man reaches his full potential, his fullness of being through knowledge. When, therefore, we ask the question, through what kind of knowledge does man reach the fullness of being, the answer should be clear. Let us again turn to Aquinas. Of the sciences, some are practical, others speculative. 
The difference being that the former, that is the practical, are for the sake of some work to be done, while the latter, the speculative, are for their own sake. The speculative sciences are therefore honorable as well as good, but the practical are only valuable. Every speculative science is both good and honorable. Education which focuses on some work to be done is certainly valuable, but it is not honorable insofar as it is a means to an end. But man, as we said, should be respected, should be honored. We should hold him in esteem. He should be honored, for he should not be treated as a means to an end, for he is an end. The education which he receives should therefore be worthy of his nature. It should not be ordered to something less than man, some exterior work or occupation which is but a means to an end. I suspect none of us at the end of our lives will say, I didn't work enough. We see our work serving some other ends. Man's education, therefore, should not be servile but free. It should be liberal, again from the Latin liber. It should be an education worthy of a free man, ordered to man's end, the perfection of his intellect, which ultimately is in God, whom we hope to see one day face to face. Let me give you an example of servile education. If a man went to school to learn how to build ships, the ships which he built are something less than man, although the ships are useful and valuable to man. If a man went to school to become a veterinarian, the animals which he treats are less than man, although the animals are useful and valuable to him. And even if man went to school primarily to become a doctor, the body of man which he heals is still something less than the man himself, for the body is but the instrument of the soul. Liberal education, however, views man not as a means, something useful for some end or purpose, but an end. Robert Maynard Hutchins, the editor of the set of great books, puts it this way. The aim of liberal education is human excellence, both private and public, for man is a political animal. Its object is the excellence of man as man. It regards man as an end, not as a means, and it regards the ends of life and not the means to it. Man is an end precisely because he is made in the image of God, who alone can fulfill his nature. A horse is not made in the image of God, for the horse is meant for riding. A cow is not made in the image of God, for a cow is meant to be a fine steak or burger on one's plate. But if we are to respect and honor man, we must not consider him as a tool for some purpose, as a means to an end, but rather an end in himself. When education universally becomes servile, ordered to the means of life, not ends, man will develop a habit of only seeing others and eventually himself as good only if he is useful. When he becomes useless in a society of men who only judge man by his usefulness, man himself will just be another commodity. That's exactly the way much of society sees unborn babies today, a natural resource whose body parts can be harvested. The father of American education, John Dewey, conceived this educational system, which has generated a whole society of human beings who tolerate modern-day slavery of the most abominable sort. What is to be done? We must return to the kind of education that formed the founding fathers of our nation and the church fathers. We must return to an education of and for free men. We must return to liberal education. To know, quote, in a liberal manner is the highest act of the highest power. And to belittle liberal knowledge is to attack the nature of the human intellect. It is to downgrade the end of man into a secondary and subordinate role. Knowledge worth having for its own sake, because it is an intrinsic perfection of the intellect, is free or liberal knowledge. It is speculative. The same author who I quoted there, Vincent Edward Smith, also stated, In such knowledge, the mind seeks its own perfection, not something exterior to itself. Knowledge sought with a view to something else, the perfection not of the knowing power, 
but if an external work or an act of the will is servile or practical. Speculative knowledge deals with things man cannot control. It reflects reality. Practical knowledge is not a reflection of existing reality, but rather a plan for bringing things into existence under human control. Speculative knowledge will lead man to the highest causes and to the ultimate reality, God. For man, by his very nature, desires to know and to know the highest of all causes. If an entire society suppresses man's natural desire to know the truth about the highest cause, or if it makes that natural desire subordinate to other lesser desires, it will only lead to a disaster, habituating the entire society to look not toward heaven, but only toward earth. And as this is the disaster we currently face. Forgive me for this long quote of St. Paul's, but I think it's the time to read this. He writes in his letter to the Romans, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men who by their wickedness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made, so they were our, are without excuse. If we had a real clear vision of the natural world, if our scientists saw, look, let's look at nature, it'd lead them to look up and say, there's got to be a cause, whom the philosopher Aristotle would say, that's God. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man or birds or animals or reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a base mind and to improper conduct." A society that has not made good minds by liberal education will be like our own present society, filled with those who are slaves to their passions. What then is a substance of a liberal education, and how do we return to it? As one of my college professors stated, in this our day, we tend to regard freedom as a natural birthright. We see ourselves as born free, and this liberty of ours as a heritage to be jealously guarded against restrictions stemming from without, from political systems, for instance, or social structures. But clearly others in the past have seen human freedom in quite another light, not as a natural endowment, but as a great good to be achieved for the individual by his own efforts, and this at least in part through his education. A liberal education is an education which makes men free. It requires great effort. A liberally educated young person will have, order, have to order his passions by beautiful music, art, and poetry, and his mind will be liberated from ignorance by giving him the tools to find the truth. Liberal education sets him on a path by which the truth can be known. The liberal arts are the tools of learning. There are seven of them. The trivium, the three ways, and the quadrivium, the four ways. The trivium, grammar, rhetoric, and logic, may be considered the arts of writing, speaking, and thinking. The quadrivium, arithmetic, geometry, music, and astronomy, are the arts necessary for the investigation of the natural world. A liberal education will give a student a general yet rigorous understanding of the principles and methods appropriate 
to all fields of learning. Mathematics, the natural sciences, literature, history, ethics, politics, philosophy, and theology. A liberal education will necessarily involve the reading and examination of the great books of Western civilization. For these books, more than any other, when studied under the light of the teaching church, can open up the truth about reality. As we are now witnessing, these are the works that have been or are now being tossed out of the progressive schools. The Bible, Homer, Plato, Aristotle, Virgil, Dante, Chaucer, and Shakespeare. No doubt many of the works which will be the substance of a liberal education will come from ancient Greece and Rome where liberal learning first flourished. As Pope St. John XXIII stated, quote, the wisdom of the ancient world enshrined in Greek and Roman literature served surely to herald the dawn of the gospel. Thus the inauguration of Christianity did not mean the obliteration of man's past achievements. Nothing was lost that was in any way true, just, noble, and beautiful. The church has ever held the literary evidences of this wisdom in the highest esteem. She especially values the Greek and Latin languages in which wisdom itself is cloaked, as it were, in a vesture of gold. You have to remember the founding fathers all knew Latin and Greek. I think Jefferson used to be able to write with Latin in one hand and Greek in another at the same time. A liberal education will involve an examination of the lives of the noble Romans and Greeks by Plutarch and introduce students to the political thinking of the founding fathers of our nation and the great documents, the Declaration of Independence and the United States Constitution by which our nation was established. But make no mistake, a liberal education is not merely a literary education in the, quote, humanities, unquote. At some level, it will involve a rigorous study of seminal works of mathematics and science like Euclid's Elements of Geometry, Ptolemy's Almagest, Newton's Principia, Lavoisier's Elements of Chemistry, and Einstein's Theory of Relativity. A liberal education will most assuredly focus on the wisdom of the world's greatest scientist, philosopher, ethicist, and political thinker, Aristotle, whose school in ancient Athens, the Lyceum, became the prototype for the very best schools in all of Europe. A liberally educated Catholic will undoubtedly be steeped in the Bible and the Catholic Church's greatest theologian, St. Thomas Aquinas, who introduced, introduced the works of Aristotle to the Christian world. Finally, a liberal education which is ordered to the knowledge of the Creator in whose image man is made will introduce students to the majesty and beauty, beauty of the worship of God in the ancient sacred liturgies. And much of what you heard the Lyceum Choir singing was music which they sing in the liturgy itself. The liturgy for it is the greatest drama this side of heaven. In the sacred liturgy, one will also hear the words of the author of life itself from the greatest of all great books, the Holy Bible, where our Lord and Savior said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Let us be among the few who take this narrow and difficult way of liberal education, for it is an essential part of bringing America back to life, a divine life of knowing and loving all that is true, good, and beautiful. Fiat Lux, let there be light. Thank you. Thank you so much, Headmaster Masick. Okay, um, thank you for that wonderful presentation. We have uh, some great questions for you, Mr. Masick. The first one is this. This was my favorite. Wait, wait a minute. No, it wasn't. Where's the one I wanted the best? Oh, doggone it. I think they got out of order. It's okay. I'll give you the one on top then. Um, how can I tell whether a school gives an education worthy of man? What sort of questions should I ask? What should I be looking for? When... Parents come, um, I make parents come to visit the Lyceum 
because I want them to see it firsthand. Um, because if a student comes, especially a sixth or seventh grader, they'll say, gosh, they don't have a hot lunch, you know, as you might expect a sixth or seventh grader to say. But when I get a parent to visit, I sit them, I have a sitting room outside my office, and I have a big bookshelf on it, and it has all the books that we read in our curriculum. So I sit them in front of them, and I start pulling the books off, like the Bible or my favorite is Euclidean geometry, and open up that ancient textbook from 325 BC, um, that, that master geometry book. And I start pulling them off and showing them that we do. And then I say, what are they going to be reading at the other schools that you're looking at? What books are they reading? And most of the parents go, I never thought of that question. That's a good question. And I said, well, it seems like it's a vitally important question because those books are going to be what is indeed the substance of your child's education. And so I think that's the most important. What is it that they will read? Um, And then at the Lyceum, we also do another thing which I think respects and honors our students' souls is we don't have lectures like I'm lecturing to you today. We try to engage them in conversation. We have seminar-style classes. So we read these great books, and we engage our students in conversation to respect their dignity and try to get them to bring them along to see what these great authors um, are saying. But I think it goes back to what are they reading? And then you might also want to ask, who are the teachers, and what do they, how were they educated? That's an important question as well. Wonderful. The next question is a two-part question about religion in public schools. Public schools want to teach religion. Is this something that should be allowed? And that morphs into part two. We see Islam being pushed in public schools. How does this affect Christianity, and should we demand equal time for it? Uh, Good question. Um, You know, I don't think a lot about public education because I don't think you can do anything with it. I think what I'll, maybe the only way to answer that question right now is to say this. Um, I was, on the way here, I was listening to Hugh Hewitt. Hugh Hewitt said uh, this morning that the Democrats have just passed the largest voucher system ever because all of these checks that are going to be going out to everyone He told everyone, start using that money wisely. Use it for the education of your children. Get them out of the public school and and find good schools to use them. I I don't think there's any hope for anyone to recover any kind of order in public education. So I just look at that fight. God bless the people who are doing it, and I wish them success. It seems to me an impossibility. I heard that on my way in this morning. Hugh Hewitt talking about that, and I texted him and I said, you are brilliant. I mean, it's what a great way to use this ridiculous $2 trillion boondoggle against them. Turn it into the public school voucher system that we all have been asking for to get kids into private schools, charter schools. That's wonderful. Okay, the next question is, what is your opinion on the state of Catholic higher education today? My own alma mater seems to have strayed far from the purpose of a Catholic education in the 50 years since I left it. So, Catholic education uh, changed dramatically with a document in 1968-69, the Land O'Lakes document. That was formed by a group of educators by Father Hesburgh from the University of Notre Dame, the president, very famous Father Hesburgh, and a group of other Catholic uh, priests and presidents of Catholic universities. They made a terrible error with the Land O'Lakes document because they wanted to make Catholic universities imitate their public counterparts. They wanted to make them research universities. They wanted to throw theology out as the queen of the sciences. And they were very successful. So I would say for the most part, um, uh, the Catholic universities are a disaster. I I, I direct people to places like my own alma mater, Thomas Aquinas College, or uh, Franciscan, or Christendom College. I look for those small startups that are 30, 40, 50 years old who had looked at what was going on in Catholic education at the universities in the late 60s and said, we want to return to the great tradition of Catholic education with these 
other universities had simply given, given up. My daughter is a sophomore at Hillsdale. Is she another, great, uh, another great school, Hillsdale. Yes. I know she is because she is right now taking great books. Yes, we have a lot of Lyceum students. We actually have three or four students uh, uh, from the Lyceum. So much of what your talk was about, she has expressed to me. Great. Yeah, it's wonderful. Uh, The next question. What do you mean by speculative science? Why is it called that? Yeah, so again, let's distinguish between practical and speculative. The practical is, right, you're learning something for a work to be done. it's It's valuable, Right? You learn how. So when I was in high school, I took a year and did construction so that I could learn how to build a house. And that's a valuable thing. But it's valuable insofar as it's not for its own sake. That knowledge is for the house, to build a house, for some end exterior to man. Speculative knowledge, on the other hand, is knowledge which simply perfects man's intellect, his highest power. Right? And so it's going to be concerned with many things. It's going to be concerned with all of reality because all that God created is worth knowing in some way. But it's also going to lead man to see the cause of all of the creatures that are. So it's going to work. It's going to be very philosophical in nature because right, through speculative knowledge, man will come to see, right, not believe, but to see with his own eyes without faith that there must be a first cause, a God. That's what Aristotle does in his works, the physics. So it's going to be, right, ordered not to some end outside and exterior to man, but it's going to be ordered to perfecting man who is, right, the greatest and best creature in the universe, material creature. So it's ordered to the perfection of our own intellects as knowers. And in fact, you go, well, what are we going to be doing in heaven? We're not going to be building houses. We're going to be knowing God face to face. So liberal education, right, is, as it were, an exercise, a beginning of what will heaven will, what will heaven be like is knowing God. That's a great thumbnail sketch. I suspect you could do an entire separate presentation on speculative science. That is wonderful. By the way, I, I just bumped this one to the top of the list because of what you just said about liberal education. And someone wanted a little more clarification. When you say liberal, liberal is a word used by progressives, poli- uh, progressive politicians, which they will use it to take God out of school. Can we still use the same word and not be progressive? Yes. I think that's important that we regain and recover the language which is ours. Don't let them have it. All right? Um, As I indicated, when we say liberal education, right, that word liberal coming from liber, meaning free. And freedom, the point of the what is freedom? Is freedom to, is, is it real freedom to do as we please or as we ought? And only freedom exists ultimately, right, in living and thinking according to the nature which we have. The person who wants to change, right, his or her gender is not free. They're, they're themselves bound by their passions, right? And, and in fact, what a liberal education does is precisely that. Make us true, free human beings who can see reality. And in seeing reality, then... We, we know how to act, we know how to think, and we know our end in God. Terrific. Uh, our next question for Mr. Masick is, do you see an impact on education from Charles Darwin and his worldviews on man and society? Absolutely. Um, I, I um, as my students um, will tell you, I, I teach a, uh, a classical science class to the 10th graders. And part of what we're doing is I'm, I'm kind of coming in the back door because I think almost all high school students, almost uh, even from the best of families, sometimes are evolutionists. They just think, okay, evolution is, is, is uh, it's clear, it's proved. I think it's not. And I think Darwin saw man, right? If, if you take his, his theory seriously, he, as the psalmist said, saw that man was a, a product of mere chance, Right? through Darwinian evolution, all right, the survival of the fittest, that he would say, that's just chance. We know the opposite is true. But 
with that worldview of Darwin, which is taught as if it's strictly science, as if there can be no doubt about it, and that's not the case, I think the evidence is still very unclear, then, um, but with that view of man, education, right, will be an utter disaster. So, so Darwinian evolution fits very well in the whole progressive view of education um, and the communists, I think, were very welcomed that view very much. We have two questions left. I think this is going to time up just right for us. Um, does it follow from your thesis that education solely for a career encourages the view that persons are only valuable insofar as they are useful? Yes, and I think that's a big problem is that, right, we have a whole society that we see our, our good our value in what we do. And if, you know, it, it, take it, you go, well, it's a tool, right? We're, we become tools with that view, right? Not saying that we don't all don't have to earn a living and do those kinds of things, but if you have a hammer, it's a tool. And when your hammer breaks, you get rid of it if it's not useful to you. Well, that's the way we're treating human beings these days, is to say, well, they're no longer useful to us, the elderly, and so psh, let's dispose of them. Our last question is a bit of a bear. It's something that everyone here has probably wondered at some point or another. And in fact, you're here because you wonder this. How do we get Planned Parenthood out of public schools? I, I don't know if I'm, again, capable of answering that question because I'm, I, I, I think you need to get children out of public schools. <laughs> I told you it was a loaded question. I, we're all looking for that answer. Ladies and gentlemen, the headmaster of the Lyceum, Thank you very Luke Mason. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Luke Masick, Headmaster of the Lyceum and presenter at our 2021 Bringing America Back to Life convention. From the Median is listener-supported. Visit our website, fromthemedian.org, for further information or to make a donation to continue to make this radio program possible. Email us, radionews at fromthemedian.org or call 440-668-4049. Through our fromthemedian.org website, you can download this or previous programs for your listening pleasure or sign up to receive our weekly preview of upcoming guest interviews. Tune in every weeknight at the same time to listen to another great interview on From the Median as we plan the route that takes us back to the culture of life. Do you know where your health care dollars are going? Are you sure you're not violating your conscience when you pay for health care? What if there was another way to pay for health care that was clear, transparent, and easier to navigate? The answer is Solidarity HealthShare. Healthcare sharing has been around for decades, born from the Christian tradition of neighbor helping neighbor. Solidarity HealthShare is an alternative way to pay for medical costs that is aligned with our Catholic values and ethics. At Solidarity, we are dedicated to our Catholic faith and committed to your care. For more information, visit SolidarityHealthShare.org or call 844-313-4999. That's 844-313-4999. From the Median is brought to you by Cleveland Right to Life.